1 Timothy. All right. So 2 Timothy is where we will find our text for the night. In chapter number 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, it's so good to see you tonight. Thank you for being here and being in the Lord's house. Job made this statement. He said, Job chapter 5 and verse 7, Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Man is born unto trouble as sparks fly upward. Now, I don't know that we need a lot of commentary on a lot of trouble. I think most of us could give personal illustration after personal illustration about, oh, Job had it just right. But as we come to 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul really identifies two different categories of troubles that come our way. Some are by way of outside of us. They are those that come to us. It may be conflict, opposition, whatever the trouble is. And then there's some others that come from within us. And what the Apostle Paul does in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is he gives us five tools, five of them, in order to understand here is a way of biblically responding to these calamities of life, these crises of life, these conflicts of life, the oppositions that may come our way. It may just be something that is within us, something that is without us, but if we will set these tools as being the template, being the, the outline, so to speak, of how do we deal, in other words, it's simply stated as this, there is a righteous way to respond to every setting in life. There is a righteous way to respond to every situation in life. There is a righteous way to respond to every conflict in life. Do we always find those ways? Not necessarily, because Randy Bray is still learning that. But as I come to 2 Timothy chapter 2, it really stands, it just leaps off the page as you look at it. And we're not going to look at the whole chapter tonight, but as you kind of hop, skip, and jump through the chapter, you're going to see Paul said, well, I suffer these things. And then a little further, he says, Paul, he says to Timothy, well, actually earlier than that, he says, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And in the warfare of life, stand strong. But he goes on and on. Let me just give you one illustration. Let, let me turn my page. You can well, I didn't have to turn. It's right here. And this is in verse number, oh, let's see, verse number 16. He says, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. So profane and the end result of that is ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom are Hymenius and Philetus. Now notice verse 18, who concerning the truth of error. Now there's the conflict, there's the opposition, there is the problem. But notice something, saying that the resurrection is past, and with special Insight. I'd like us to just examine momentarily. We don't have long, just kind of touch on it for a moment. But notice the wording there. He says, and overthrow the faith of some. Here you have two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who had told them that the resurrection was already passed. And through that, the Bible word of it is they overthrow. Literally has that idea in mind, to overturn, to overthrow. But notice, notice those last words, the faith of some. We heard it referenced in the message this morning where Jesus said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. Remember the rest of it? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Now, I don't know if these brethren who were exercising faith in that particular promise of the Lord or another promise of the Lord or of what it was, I'm not real certain the Bible doesn't declare what the subject matter was that their faith was vested in, their faith was resting in. But here are these men who came in for whatever motive and strategies and everything else but the end result was their faith was overthrown. Now, you can't overthrow something unless it's there to start with. So I'm just assuming, if I could take a little liberty here, I'm assuming that these are good men and women. These are brethren 
who were looking forward to whatever it was that God had laid upon their hearts, had promised. Maybe it was to come again, and specifically so, the rapture of the church. He was going to come again. He promised to do it. And here you have these rascals, and they come in, and they say, oh, the resurrection's already passed. Perhaps they had been through some struggles. Maybe they were just well-versed in sympathies or tendernesses of heart. But whatever it was, oh, how diabolical it was to overthrow the faith of these who had been trusting and believing. Each who is here tonight, including this fellow here, that we will have those times in life. Now, it's not always those insidious kinds of things that just come in and with some strategy to, to ruin whatever walk you have with the Lord and testimony for the Lord. But maybe, maybe it's in your prayer life and it's been more than a decade now. And as we get out our stopwatch, so to speak, of when I need this, boy, Lord, I need this now. And, and God's timetable doesn't run on our stopwatches. And we begin to just say, well, maybe it's not going to happen. Provision, protection, a mate, whatever it is, a healing, insight and wisdom, they come packaged differently and at different times. And yet, and yet, that old flesh of us would say, see there, I told you, I told you God wasn't going to do anything. And you should have just listened to me to start with and put your faith in and, and gone a different direction. See how much better off you'd be. And so without investing any more time in the multitude of types of challenges, conflicts, oppositions that come our way, we could just kind of blanket them because that's kind of the way it is in this chapter. We could just kind of like you do in the fall leaves and maybe you don't have a rake and so what you do is you just kind of shove them into a blanket or a sheet and, and you just package it and then you ball it in a thing and you carry it off and we could just kind of wrap those all together and just in the few minutes we have tonight, May I share with you what the Lord has helped me with? And I've still got a ways to go with this, no doubt about that. But may I share with you five tools that I believe possibly will help you. When that comes special delivery to your mind, maybe during your prayer time. Oh, what a battle that is sometimes. As you're on your knees, or at least on the knees of your heart, and you're waging war with your old flesh, trying to keep your mind focused, and then trying to discount whatever else is thrown in, because the Bible says in Romans 7, 21, when I would do good, evil is present with me. And so when my will wants to do what God wants, and I'm in my prayer life, you're in yours, or whatever it is, maybe doing something kind, maybe it's being a blessing to an enemy, whatever it is, that if we'll use those five tools, it'll help us to stay the course. It'll help us to stay in the center of God's will, doing His will in that very place because we're His representatives in our own hearts, but also in the hearts of others who are watching us. So with that in mind, we're going to have to hop, skip, and jump because of time. But would you do that with me, please? So let's look at, and we are not going through all heat. I mean, in various places in this chapter, he talks about different kinds of these things. So we're just kind of wrap them up in that bundle and say, all right, what's a good biblical way of going about being successful in times of challenge and crisis. Here we go. It starts with verse 15. You know that verse. I imagine you do. Let's look at it momentarily. And we're just going to call the first tool is that of educate, to educate. All right? So I need to be educated in how God says to respond to these crises or the opportunities of life. But in this context, the challenges. Notice what he says in verse number 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Here we go. Rightly dividing. That has the idea of discernment. Rightly dividing the word of truth. As our brother preached this morning about the word of God. We come to it again tonight as being the epitome of everything we need. 2 Peter chapter 1 says that God has already given us everything we need for life. And godliness. There isn't anything else other than life and godliness as you and I are here and where we are now. And so the Bible says he's already given us everything we need for life and godliness. So you and I are wise as his children 
When we come to the Word of God, and we don't just give it a cursory or a simple reading of the Word, but we dive into it. We study it. And he says here, study to show thyself approved. You, you know the illustration. I, I'm certain that you've heard it. The word approved goes back to the first century when you had those who marketed coins. They would get the raw material or they would purchase the raw material and they would put it into molds. They would melt it and put it into, into a mold that would become a coin. And an honest uh, merchant would take that, he would pull it out, after it cooled, he'd pull it out, and it would be on the edges, it would be rough. So then he would take it to the scale, and he would take a, a file or a, a knife, a, a sharp knife, and he would round the edges in a very smooth way, put it on, it's just weight, just exactly right. Oh, but someone who by degrees wanted to increase his wealth, would say, all right, I'm going to take that same thing, same mold, comes out in the same form, and yes, I'm going to make it smooth as well. But maybe he leaves just, oh, maybe a, a residue, a good enough residue to where when he added it to another and to another and to another and to another, by each of those, he incrementally increased his wealth. The word here that he says approved has the idea of just weight. Study to show thyself of just weight. When you and I go through the things in life that we would just kind of, oh, the winds are blowing contrary, or whatever it is that the old sleuth foot, utilizing our old flesh, says, oh, you ought to just give in. Don't pray anymore about that. It's a lost cause. Don't even try at work. Don't, yeah, everybody else does it. Whatever else it is. When you and I are studying the Word of God as God wants us to, not just a simple reading, but saying, Lord, I'm hungry today. Feed me from thy Word. Lord, I need to rightly divide the truth of the Word of God and my settings in life. How does this truth apply to my setting rather than how does my setting apply to this truth? Lord, help that to be the template of how I respond in this setting. And he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not... To be ashamed. The word ashamed just simply means that. We all know that. But it has the idea of the root word in it. It's kind of a compound word. But if you go back to the root word, it has the idea of to be disfigured. To be disfigured. In other words, if I'm not studying the word of God as I should as God's child, according to the word he's given to me and he's commanded me to study the word of God, if I don't do that, I'm going to come out of that exercise disfigured. I'm going to come out with my discernment distorted so that as I look at the circumstance of life, good, bad, or ugly, if we could put it that way, and especially in times of challenge and crisis and prolonged fulfillment of what God's doing in our lives, I'm going to have a distorted and a disfigured perception of what God's doing in my life rather than saying, okay, Lord, I don't understand this, but I don't have to. And you've given me in your word exactly what I need. And maybe it's a, an equal measure to grace to the challenge. Maybe you're allowing grace to be withheld long enough for me to build my faith. But the first of these tools is to study the word of God. That's the template for everything we have for life and godliness. But now we come to verse 19. Now we, we talked about it just a second ago, but let's look at it again. Verse 19 has the idea, and uh, actually, let's see, it is verse 19. He's talking about uh, Hymenius and Philetus who overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And that's going back to the previous verse, that their faith was overthrown. And aren't you glad that even when we don't know what's going on, sometimes even when we take a false step, Sometimes even when our faith may waver just a little bit, we have this promise of God. You notice what it says. Nevertheless, even though their faith was overthrown, nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure, for, uh, standeth, uh, sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth, that's an experiential knowledge there, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Now notice the last phrase. So the first tool is to study. 
The second tool is to consecrate. Notice what he says. Now, consecrate is where you take something, and it's, it goes beyond dedicate. It's, it's a cousin, a first cousin to dedicate in a way. But consecrate means, Lord, I'm giving this to you. Lord, I, I am presenting this to you, and I want it to be holy and righteous and just. So I just called it consecrate. Notice what it says. The Lord knoweth everyone, uh, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ. What's the last three words? Would you say it with me? From iniquity. That was good. Let's do it once again so that I'll just get it down deeply in my heart. And let everyone, everyone, that's all inclusive there. It's a superlative. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, will you say it with me? Depart from iniquity. There it is. Okay, Lord. I see what you're challenging me. I see what you require of me. To study, yes. But I want to live for Jesus, a life that is true. Oh, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in the blood. When you and I think about the opportunities, here you had these people who, who just maybe were sincerely living for the Lord, giving their lives for the Lord and wanting to serve God. Their faith was overthrown. God says, I know who they are anyway. My, my salvation is eternal. But then he follows it up with this postscript. He says, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, yes, I'm a Christian, depart. From iniquity. So the first is to study. That's the first tool. Get into the Word of God daily. Study the Word. If you don't understand something, well, that's, that's prime target to do a study and say, okay, Lord, I don't understand that. That's a word I don't know. I'll study it. I'll find out. There's Bible helps. I can do that. Study. The second is consecrate. But now verse number 20 comes to the heart of what we're going to look at. Verse number 20. Notice what he says. But in a great house. Now, when he's talking about that, may I pause just for a moment? He's not going to talk about Biltmore. He's not talking about some other mansion, whether it's in Europe or America or South America. But it's really a word picture for my understanding and for yours as well. When he's talking about a great house now, he's talking about in the totality of my life. He's talking about the totality of Marco's life. He's talking about the totality of his life and of your life. And so when he says, notice verse number 20, but in a great house, notice what he says, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Okay, so you have, there are vessels of gold and silver. Let's say that would be maybe a goblet, you know, a golden goblet. Uh, he says not only of, of gold and silver, but also of wood. Oh, in a great house, maybe some unique carvings. It may be a frame, it may be a, a, a portrait, whatever it is, uh, the carvings. And then he also says, uh, not only of gold and silver and of wood and of earth, that maybe would be of clay. Uh, maybe it would be, uh, I would call it a vase, but maybe some would call it a vase, one that had a great uh, uh, price attached to it, all right? So here he says, in a great house, there's gold and silver and some things of wood, vessels of wood, and, and, and also of, of clay or of, of earthen, probably clay. But notice what he says about that. Some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, it takes a trained eye to be able to go into a house and say, oh, I, 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 I know that is really what... That's worth something. Now, I'd go in the same thing, place and look at the same thing and say, that looks like a good thing for a yard sale. You know, and somebody else comes along and, and uh, I would put it out there for $5 and they go out and they sell it for a gazillion dollars, all right? It takes a trained eye, whether you're talking about art or whatever the matter is. And so it is in your life and mine. When we study to show ourselves approved, the exact right, the, the exact weight, the, the right things in the word of life and, and the lives that you and I live, when you and I look at those things and we've studied the word of God 
And because of that, we're able to rightly divide the Word of God and say, here's how God's Word applies to this setting in my life. Then in doing so, I will not be ashamed in the midst of that setting. And as important as that is, even more so when I see my Savior, you see your Savior face to face. Because we've determined we're going to depart from iniquity. When I see in that setting that there is an opportunity for me to walk in the direction of iniquity, no, I'm going to depart because I want to so consecrate my life to the Lord. But now, as I look at the intricacies of my life, now we could go to every venue of life. We could talk about music. We could talk about dress. We could talk about the things that are touch points, so to speak, that sometimes, well, you know, Brother Bray, you know, preacher, you know, uh, you know, that's just a matter of opinion. Well, you're exactly right. It's a matter of God's opinion. And to say, you know what? He's already provided everything we need for life and godliness. And he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is a wave of the sea, driven of the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So, Lord, in my life, search me out. And Lord, I want only in my life those things that are honorable to Thee. Now, Lord, I'm Randy Bray. And I know Randy Bray. And I know I have some bumps and bruises, Lord. Not physically, but maybe sometimes in attitude, sometimes in priorities, sometimes in passions. It may be in my associations, it may be in my music, it may be in the way that I treat an enemy or my wife. Lord, I don't want anything dishonorable in my heart and in my life. There is one who wants that more than I. And it's none other than the sweet Holy Spirit and the Heavenly Father. And the, in other words, the Trinity wants in my life. Because the Bible says, He which hath begun a good work will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So as he's working in me and my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't want to have, he doesn't want to, have to, to keep convicting me of, of this in my life or of that in my life. That's a distraction from the full steam ahead of what God's trying to do. And notice what he says about that, but in a great house. We've already read that. And there's all of these things. Some are gold, some are silver, wood, clay. But I need to have the discernment as gleaned from my study in the Word of God to say, wait a minute, and on the surface, they may, this may look okay, but let me take the rest of it and evaluate it according to what the Word of God says about these kinds of settings in life. And Lord, if this displeases you at all, if this is dishonorable before a thrice holy God, oh Lord, I won't run from that light, I'll run to that light because the rest of the verse says this. If when I find those things, an attitude, a, a priority, or whatever it is, and, and it may seem benign, it may seem like it's not going to do anything, it's just there, no big deal, you've always been that way, it's your personality, it's the way you've structured, it's the way you were reared, it was how, whatever it is that we've excused why we allow those things, apparently we think dormant in our lives, not really doing anything wrong, but we still let them stay there anyway. Notice what it's handicapping or disfiguring, notice if you will with me please. He says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, getting rid of the dishonorable things, here's what's going to happen in a very positive way. Oh, four different things. He shall be a vessel unto honor. Oh, that's what you want. Just a, a great house, a body, a life, a mind, an attitude, an ambition. All of those things unto honor. But not only that. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. That means set apart. Set apart from the ambitions of the underworld and the devil and the flesh. And set apart to the ambitions of none other than the one who died because he cares for you. But not only a vessel of honor and sanctified and meet or fitting for the master's use. But notice this, and prepared unto every good work. Five tools I've mentioned we will be looking at. The first was study. Oh, it has to start there. You skip that and just say, okay, I'll wing it. You know, that's the fallback. You know, I'll, I'll just wing it. I've been in church for 
47 years or 74 years. And I, you know, I pretty well know what's going on. Well, my ability of cognitive processes is not the standard. The way in which I was reared is not the standard. The standard is none other than the Word of God. So as I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, I, I want only that which is honorable, no matter how I've embraced it or it's embraced me. No matter how tangled up in it I am, I know there is liberty, as our brother quoted this morning, 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. He says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by whom? The Spirit of the Lord. When I'm in the Word of God and I'm studying and saying, Lord, I'm handicapped. I don't know. I need your help. Even as I prayed about this message, Lord, this is beyond me. Lord, I need your help. And as you and I in our settings in life come fresh on each day and say, Lord, I need your wisdom. Then it says, Lord, and I say, Lord, I've got this thing that I've, I've just been that way for a long time. Lord, I've messed up or I've, I've become successful in a man's eyes and yet unsuccessful in your eyes. Lord, I need your help. But it says here that I'll prepare, be prepared. Notice what it says, the last phrase, and prepared unto every good work. So the first was to study. It starts there. Then the second is to consecrate. That's what I want in my life. i Lord, I, I belong to you. My attitudes, my ambitions, my resources, my family, it, it all belongs to you. Consecrate my life. The third we've already looked at, and that is evaluate. Study, okay? Educate is really the term I used. Consecrate and now evaluate. So when I purge those things with a heart that's grieving, because for several days or months or years, I've grieved the Holy Spirit. And when I repent, that has the idea of changing of the mind. I not only want to change my mind concerning that grieving of the Holy Spirit, but I want to change the Holy Spirit's, if I could say it this way. I want to change the Holy Spirit's mind to where he's not grieving because I've substituted this or that or the other for his workings in my life. And as I look at educate, consecrate, evaluate, is everything truly of gold and of silver and of wood and of clay to honor the Lord in my life? Every aspect, made differently, different settings gold is from pottery, and yet everything is to be of honor. We must hurry because we're almost running out of time. He says, he says, verse 15, educate. Verse 19, consecrate. Verse 20, evaluate. Verse 21 talks about so that we can meet, be meet for the masters who's prepared unto every good work. And then verse number 22 is a phenomenal verse. Verse 22, they're all phenomenal, I guess. But I can put a capital P and capital, we can just keep on going. Verse 22, notice if you will with me, please. He says, flee also, youthful us. You notice the pattern here? As we're going through all these various crises that Paul said, you're going to go through these, I'm going through these, and every one of these. Now notice what he says, flee also, youthful us. Flee is a deep theological, grammatical, historical term. It means flee. It really has the idea of flee to safety is the idea in mind. Lust there, we think lust being sexual kinds of things oftentimes, but it's a word that literally has the idea of passions. Now, a lot of times, sexual things are done out of illicit passions. But he is, and that's kind of what he's talking about. He says, flee also youthful us. You say, well, I'm not in my youth anymore. I'm in my 50s, my 60s, my 70s, my 40s. I'm not a youth anymore. But I think if you'll look at the passions that you have that have written on the outside of it from an eternal perspective, dishonorable. You'll find, even as I will with mine, we'll find that many times they're laced, those things are laced with some of the same passions we had as youngsters, as young people. 
that they've just grown up with us and now they may take a different trajectory, a different direction than what we did when we were 13 or 17 or 23. But they still had that ambition to give in to what I want rather than what does God want in my life. So he says, flee also youthful loss. He starts there. Oh, but the next phrase. So youthful lust, let's say it's this way. Youthful lusts are going that way. He says, flee also youthful lusts. All right, I'm going this way towards what I want, my passions, whatever would contradict the word of God. He says, flee also youthful lust, but, and he uses the word, it's an interesting word. He says, follow. Now, there's different words translated as follow in the New Testament. This particular word, is also translated other times in the New Testament as persecute. It has this idea in a bad context. Persecute has the idea that you run and you grab a hold of someone and you hang on to them, you, you do something to them, and you, you just it's not for their benefit. You're going to persecute them. Notice what he says. There's a quartet of, of things that we're to follow, to run after, to put our hands on, not let it go. He says, flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. Now, contextually, let's keep this in mind, if you, if you would with me, please. This is a chapter that seems to be dedicated to helping those like those brethren that Hymenius and Philetus had their way with. And their faith was overthrown. Oh, the resurrection's passed already. We might as well just give up. We lost it. We may not even be saved, perhaps they thought. But now he is coming and all of this study and educate and consecrate and evaluate what's going on in your life. What's there? What are you allowing to stay? That the Holy Spirit has been nudging you day after day and month after month or just a moment after doing it. He says, flee those things. Like he said, purge those things. Depart from iniquity, remember? But now he says, flee also youthful lust, but follow after. Yoko. Run after, not after passions that are contrary to the will of God, but instead of that, whoa, contradistinction, run after, follow after righteousness and faith and charity and peace. Now, what would they have to do within a great house? There are vessels of gold and silver and of wood and of earthen. And if a man purge himself from these, he shall be a a vessel unto honor, meet for the master's use, prepared for every good work. Flee also you follow after rise of faith, cheer, and peace. Could this brave fellow just put it in a simple way that I understand? Contextually, it goes like this. Righteousness when I'm going after it and I'm pursuing and I want to put my hands on anything God says is righteous, righteousness chooses God's standards. doesn't matter whether we're talking about what we wear, what we say, how we go about it. When I'm pursuing and I'm saying whatever is righteous, how do I determine what's righteous? It's by the Word of God. When I study the Word of God and God gives me insight on a Tuesday and six years later I'm in a setting in which I need to have that insight, it's already embedded in my character if I am following footsteps of, uh, the footsteps of Jesus, so to speak. Righteousness chooses God's standard. He says, flee also youthful lust, but follow. Dioko, run after, put your hands on righteousness because it chooses God's standards. Faith pursues God's ambitions. God has ambitions for each one who's here who knows the Lord is a Savior, her Savior. He has a calling for you. He has a will for you. The Bible says no less in Hebrews chapter 10 and other places as well, the just, it, it's the same word as righteous, Nikaios. It has that idea in mind. He says the righteous ones shall live by faith. So if I am one of those 
Let the na- those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If I'm naming the name of Christ, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior because of what he did on the cross for me. Therefore, I have that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And yes, there's a foretaste of glory divine. But right now, right now, I want his ambitions to be mine. He says, the just, the righteous one shall live by faith. So when I choose to run after righteousness and I put my hands on it, I won't let it go, I'm choosing God's standards for my life, no matter what the subject is. And when I choose and, I, and, uh, and I'm dealing with faith, it pursues God's ambitions. And then we come to charity. The simple way I put it for me is charity models God's motivations. Righteousness chooses God's standards. Faith chooses God's ambitions, whether it's to go to the mission field or to give somebody a drink of water and a cool drink of water in his name, whether it's to do good to your enemies. It's choosing God's ambitions, pursues them. Charity models God's motivations. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. When you and I understand he says, flee also youthful lust. It's not just, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm just going to go this way. And No, he says, flee also youthful lust, but pick them up and put them down. Follow after the yoke of run after righteous faith, charity. Lord, what is it that, that you want me to do and why you want me to do it? It's not so that others will think better of me. It's not so that my intellect or my resources or whatever else it is, I'm only doing it because, Lord, I want them to see you in me. That sweet savor we talked about the last time I preached. Charity models God's motivations. And then the final of those four is peace. Now, peace, as you see in Galatians chapter 5, he gives the works of the flesh, and then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, what? Peace. So in that context, it's not something I go after. It's something that comes to me that is unnatural for that setting most of the time in which God gives me that that glorious divine peace that I'm in the right exactly where I need to be in His will. But now contextually, He's saying, flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace because peace maintains God's confirmations. What a joy it is when the devil's hammering you about how unfaithful you are or how you don't pray enough or when you do pray a lot, you're doing it just out of routine or when this or that or the other and all of a sudden because you have a tender heart for the Lord and you're thinking, well, I must not be right with the Lord and then you stop and evaluate it. Wait a minute, does God deal with me that way? So then you turn your prayer life to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, if there's anything between you and me, if there's anything at all, if I'm doing this for the wrong motivations, if I'm going here or doing that, and it's not what you want, and I'm just doing it for an alternate ambition, then Holy Spirit, convict me. I'll run to that light. And I'll say, Lord, oh, you are right. I, oh, yeah, here's my pattern of thought. Oh, yes, I wanted it. I stepped in that direction, yes. Oh, but I'm here to tell you, and you know it. In the absence of conviction, for someone who is walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh, Romans 8, 1 through 4, Galatians chapter 5. When you're walking after the Spirit and you go sincerely before the Lord and say, Lord, you show me where I'm not right with you. And there's an absence of conviction, and I believe you're going to find the presence of a divine peace. That's why he tells us, flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. And then as we conclude, he says this, verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. There's a prepositional phrase there. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now think contextually with me, if you will, please. Here he says, flee also youthful us. They're going that direction. 
And we say, no, wait a minute. I want to follow after. I'm going to run after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. With them hmm. that call on the Lord, doing the same thing, going in the same direction, and maybe with the same enthusiasm out of a pure heart. That's what Crossroads Baptist Church is all about. That's why Becky and I love to be here. And it's not a, a village needs to rear a child. But it's simply this. As you and I are running partners, if we could put it that way, what an encouragement to stay in, 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 in the direction of the will of God. This illustration won't take but just a moment if you'll allow me to do it. And I think it'll finish out what we're trying to say tonight. That God just laid this on my heart, prayed diligently about what I should preach. Um, brother, that message and song the men sang was really, really good. Praise the Lord. Uh, the four guys, here was Brother Josh right here. The four guys that were right there, would you come up here please? Are you still here? Did you just die? Okay, all right. All right, good. There's two, there's three. Ah, oh, they're all okay. You don't grow any short guys here, do you? All right, all right. So, uh, let's say that these guys, thank you for volunteering. Uh, let's say these guys are of the same opinion of what the scripture says. Would you be of that opinion? The answer is yes. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. And so what they want to do, if you'll come this way, if you'll do this way, please, all right? So what they want to do is they don't want youthful lust, no matter how old they are, no matter how they come presented to them, right? Amen or no? Amen. Okay. So what they're going to do is they're going to go in the direction of righteousness, faith, charity, and peace, right? Amen. Very good. All right. Now, here I am as a Christian who wants to do the same thing. But let's say that I have a little trouble with misstepping, all right? So if I could get you to stand right here, please. Yes, sir. And if I get you to stand right next to him, all right? Uh, let's see. Let's aim this direction because you don't want to go in that direction. All right. Uh, shoulder to shoulder there. Uh, there we go. There we go. There we go. All right. There we go. Yep. There we go. There we got to go this direction. All right. And if I can get you to stand right here as we're going in this direction. All right. And if you'll go over here, please. All right. And if you'll let, give me just a little room in between you. All right. I'm going to get among them. All right. I should have got a ladder. All right. All right. So uh, let's gather in a little closer, if you will, please. All right. Let's take a step. One step. Okay. Let's take another one. All right. Let's take another one. Okay. That's pretty good. Hey, we do this. All right. All right, let's take another one. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is it you all right? Okay, let's take another one. Sorry about that. Okay. A goofy illustration, but I think it's very important. Sometimes we feel like we have to go it alone. And if I call so-and-so, they're going to think I'm checking up on them. They're going to think I want to be an accountability partner or whatever else. And I don't want to embarrass them. But you notice when we were going in the same direction, everything was fine. There was no, no bumping, nothing else. But for the guy who had trouble, if I could put it this way, going in the right direction, how long did it take you when I misstepped how long did it take you to know that I was taking a misstep? Immediately. Immediately. Oh, okay. Same thing? Okay. How important it is for, for Crossroads Baptist Church, for individual brothers and sisters in Christ, to be so close. Yes, that gives a vulnerability sometimes. But what a joy it is. For someone who maybe is a little weak, maybe I haven't studied to the same degree, maybe my circumstances are a little different, maybe they're the same. But when we're running together with them who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, it doesn't take very long for this brother to say, Brother Bray, uh, just, you know, and we're not talking about a physical step here, but a spiritual step. Hey, listen, can we get together and I'd like to chat with you. 
I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to whatever. Thank you, gentlemen. What a difference it makes. And you may not have someone like that. But I, what little bit we've been here, I'll, as they say in Texas, I'll guarantee you that there's plenty of men and ladies at Crossroads Baptist Church who would be glad to volunteer to just run with you, so to speak, and call on the Lord and, and just enjoy studying the Word together, maybe online or however it is. Or when you take a misstep. Last illustration, years ago, I had a good friend. He owned several businesses. And uh, I was a youth pastor at the time and, and uh, had taken a bunch of teenagers skiing up here in North Carolina at uh, Sugar Mountain. And I believe it was Sugar, if I remember correctly. And uh, taking a bunch of, we came from Georgia, came up here and was skiing and just had a blast all day long. Going home, uh, there was a whiteout. And I had a busload of teenagers and, and uh, so it got to where you couldn't see five feet in front of you. And so I pulled the bus over, and it just so happened there was a motel there. Long story short, and the illustration's not important as much as the, the point, so I'll hurry on that. But uh, so I went in, I talked to the manager, and he said, I just wanted to rent a couple of rooms long enough for the guys and the gals to be able to get warm and maybe shower and get ready and just wait for the snow to clear up and the, and the roads to be plowed to where we get home. And so that's what happened. Everything was fine. Everybody was safe, so forth. And it was several hours later, and uh, so everybody was good, warm. We ate something and then headed home. Got home and, and it, there was the moms and dads in the parking lot. And no one said a thing to me. Um, not a thing. And they were fine and they, their kids got there and they were just fine. Several weeks later, a fellow named Mike Vesperman, uh, the businessman, he said, hey, Randy, and he and I, we played racquetball together and goofed off together and just did things and really enjoyed life together. Just friends. And he said, hey, I'd like to take you out to eat. So we went to eat and, at uh, Shoney's, and uh, uh, that's a, a, a restaurant of yesteryear, I think. But uh, we sat at Shoney's, and, and I got to thinking as I was sitting there, I wonder if he's got something on his mind. The problem was I asked him that. Have you got something on your mind? And he says, uh, well, yeah, kind of. And I said, well, what you got on your mind? He said, well, let's just wait until after we eat. Then I knew it was not an early Christmas I knew it was not probably going to go well. And uh, so we went out, and his Mercedes was parked right next to my car. We sat in my car, and I'm in the driver's seat. And he began to take his uh, figurative scalpel and just open me up. He said, Randy, and I won't go into all the details, he said, you got home late with those young people. Well, yeah, it was this whiteout. He said, I know that. He didn't even have a young person in the youth group. He said, I know that. I've heard that. He said, but uh, did you call any of the parents? Mm, no, I don't think so. It was before the days of cell phones and all that. I, no, no, I don't think I did. He said, no, you didn't. And the longer he went, the more angry I became. We're talking about angry on steroids. How dare this guy, my friend, my racquetball partner, my this and my the other. I mean, you know, he's, who does he think he is? I'm looking straight ahead. I turn to give Mike Vesperman, I mean, a well-justified rebuttal of everything he had said. And here was a successful businessman. Sweeping. Weeping. He was weeping for me. He said, Randy, if you don't change your ways... People aren't going to trust you. He said, I've seen a pattern. Hadn't been huge, but I've seen a little pattern that you don't keep your word. I'm concerned about that. God smote my heart. It's been many, many years ago, and yet it's as fresh as today. You know what Mike was doing? He was doing the same thing as we did up here. He saw a friend of his that took a misstep. And it wasn't just a one-time misstep. I became more comfortable, maybe with a, a wider gate. And he said, somebody needs to do something. I can do that. I've thought about that all these years, and God's used it in my life. 
Dear friend, God brought me to the text, 2 Peter chapter 2. The title of the message was Home Sweet Home. And that's really what it comes down to. He says, in a great house, there are vessels of gold and of silver and of wood and of earthen, some to honor, some to dishonor. And I would plead with my heart, don't wing it, Randy. Don't assume that you know what's to dishonor and what's to honor because Randy Bray's understandings are not the standard. Righteousness is the standard. And if I follow after righteousness, I'm choosing God's standard. If I'm following Dioko, pursuing after faith, I'm pursuing God's ambitions. If I'm following after charity, I'm, I'm pursuing and I'm, I'm modeling God's motivations for doing everything that he does out of a heart of love for his beloved. And if I am pursuing peace, oh, I want that peace that's absolutely God's confirmations that I'm walking after the spirit and not after the flesh. I don't know if this made sense to anyone tonight, but for me, it has reminded Randy Bray that I need the word of God in my life. I also need brothers and sisters in Christ who will love me enough and I can love them enough that we can call on the Lord together out of a pure heart, not contaminated, but a pure heart. And if Crossroads Baptist Church is blessed with that community of believers that look beyond just themselves and they look to what God can do through them and others' lives, running together. What a great opportunity for us to be used of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. Lord, I, I pray that what I've preached tonight, I've, I've already seen in whatever degree here at this dear church. Becky and I have been blessed. But Lord, this is the text you brought me to. So perhaps, Lord, for me or maybe perhaps others, you'd have me to reevaluate. How is it in my life? Let me make sure that everything that I allow to stay within the perimeters, the boundaries of my attention and my ambitions and my just everything, Lord, that it is to honor so that I will be meet and prepared for your use. And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Heads bowed and eyes.